You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number three. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan, coming to you live from the Doug Lacey Basement System Studio. They specialize in everything basement-y. Oh, yeah. Since 1992, serving Calgary in southern Alberta. At the bottom of the hour, I'm really looking forward to talking to Jack Edwards. It'll be fun. The play-by-play voice of the Boston Bruins for Nesson. They're an intriguing group. They're old. Um, Their best player is a UFA. Yeah. At the end of the season. I don't not think right he's going to leave. No, but you never know. That's something we can ask Jack about. So far, his season has shown him to be a double-digit player, so... And talk about a goaltending duo that nobody believed in heading into next season, Swayman and Allmark. Mm. But been pretty good. Swayman healthy right now? He got hurt last week. Well, heading into last year, people were like, Swayman, what? Had a great year. What? Yeah, he was pretty good last season. And Allmark was not. David Krejci decides to come back. Patrice Bergeron's like last dance kind of thing. Yeah. Team's good. They got that full check line with uh, Zaka, yep. uh, Krejci, and Pasternak. Yep. Uh, Felino looks like he's turned back the clock a little bit. Is he turned back time? Yeah, I, I would say so. I don't think we will. Maybe maybe we'll do it again. <laughs> and we'll do look it up. I don't know. If, Taylor I, I Hall. Don't, I don't know if producer Alex Brody can take the stress of turning back time. There's a lot going on with turning back time. He was stressing time. out back there about turning Is back time. Is he sweating? Yeah, I think he was. He He, he was really stressing out. Uh, but right now, Flames lose 3-2 yesterday, lost six in a row to talk about it on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Ryan Pike, co-host of Flames Talk and editor at Flames Nation. Ryan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How about yourselves? We're good. Um, we, we threw the question out to the text line on the Twitter account at George Russick and Matt Rose YYC. Uh, this Flames six-game losing streak feels like blank. Ryan Pike from Flames Nation. This flame six game losing streak feels like. I would just say messy. I mean, okay. they're. I I would say this. Uh, they haven't played badly in all six games. Uh, you know, they've. There's probably of the six, like two games that you look at as a whole and go, "Ooh, that was not very good." But I mean, even dating back to when the the illustrious streak began against Edmonton, I mean, that was a game where the Flames had it in hand and then they were just a little bit too casual playing against Connor McDavid. And then it came back to bite them. Uh, same thing against uh, Seattle where, you know, they, they had a two goal lead in the third period and they just found ways to lose. And I, I think that's been the theme for four of six games where if you look at the, the balance of play, if you look at, you know, uh, the balance of efforts, the Slains have been pretty good in four of six and, Unfortunately, in in those four games, they just made mistakes or couldn't quite execute their scoring chances when they needed to. And as a result, instead of talking about you know uh, a, a more than two point effort over six games, they're they're looking at only two points. Uh, they were they were full marks on the two points they got, but I think you look at uh, how well they played during that span and go, they probably should have gotten more. Is that what makes this even more frustrating? Because Maddie and I talked about this uh, before he jumped on on the show. Uh, the first period they played on the island was fantastic. The first period they played last night against the Devils, fantastic. And then all of a sudden, the third period, you're like, how am I watching the same team? Yeah, pretty much. I'd say, you know, when you're when you're flirting with like 15 or 16 shots per period, when you're getting, you know, double digits for scoring chances, 
you know, I, I think if you're looking if you're looking at uh, things they can improve, I mean, they're not they're doing a good job of getting initial scoring chances, getting you know secondary scoring chances and high danger scoring chances they can improve on. But I think that speaks to just the 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 big problem at all right now of well they just they need to find a way to get a little bit more from from what they're doing process wise because you know if you come out of that first period uh, you know either the first period they've had on this road trip with more than a one goal lead you're probably feeling a little bit better and you can play your game a little bit more you can you know I think you know I know Daryl Sutter has mentioned this a few times you know if we're being completely honest they're missing three really good defensemen right now Mm -hmm. and when you're missing three really good defensemen and you're on a losing streak you lean on your top four guys a bit more and I don't know about you but if I'm overworked and you ask me to do a little bit more in the third period uh, you know, I'm not going to be playing as well as I could. And I think if you go into that second or third period with like a multi-goal lead, you, you use Gilbert and DeSimone and Mackey a bit more. And so there's a little bit more freshness in your top guys and it allows you to close that wins a little bit more easily. And unfortunately, you know, they, they've been leaning on, on a lot of, or on a handful of guys for these late periods. And unfortunately, you know, things just have gone wrong for them and they don't need them to. Yeah, and they're dealing with those injuries. We'll see what happens. We don't know a timeline for Michael Stone or Oliver Shillington or really any of the guys as we continue to move forward here. Um, but I did want to ask you about that, Blue. As someone who's watched the Wranglers quite a bit, what have you made of DeSimone and Gilbert in their play? Were they maybe above what you expected, a little bit below what you expected when you compare and contrast to what they've been doing with the Wranglers? Well, all due respect to the call-ups, they're they're good pro hockey players, but uh, on the whole, the, the Wranglers' defense is sort of a work in progress. Uh, if you look at, you know, you go to Cat Friendly or wherever and look at the the names. I mean, you know, Yankus uh, Nets obviously in his first year pro, Jeremy Poirier's in his first year pro, Elias Olabi obviously in his third year or second or third year pro. Uh, you know, and then you have sort of some tweener guys like uh, like Malosh and Pullman and. You know, I would put Gilbert and Simone into that category, too. I mean, they're guys that are just, you know, are, are they going to be pushing for regular NHL duty anytime soon? Probably not. They were assigned to sort of provide some depth and insulate the, the young guys, the AHL, and really provide Kuznetsov and uh, and Poirier with some sort of veterans to, to play off of. And, you know, in small sample size, they've done that well. And I think, you know, the reason these guys get called up is, A, partially because of cap considerations. The, the Flames didn't have enough salary cap space to bring up two guys. So uh, they couldn't bring up, you know, Gilbert or DeSimone and Nick Malosh. Uh, they, don't, they don't have cap space for that. So they ended up bringing basically a, a full defensive pairing up intact uh, in Gilbert and DeSimone at the same time. Uh, so the nice thing is, Gilbert DeSimone have some continuity. They're reliable. Uh, you know, they, they won't blow your hair back. They won't really move the needle a lot, but they also won't hurt you very much. I mean, the, the turnover that DeSimone made against uh, the Islanders the other night, I would say that's fairly uncharacteristic of how he usually plays. And I think there's more just sort of a, you know, whoopsie, you know, th- bad things happen at times and sort of characterize sort of how the Flames have played where they've done a lot of good things. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's in the right position and a puck rolls off their stick at the at the wrong moment, those kind of things. So I, I'd say they're, they're performing about as well as can be expected because, you know, they, they've just, they were just probably expected to be reliable spot start guys. 
Jonathan Huberdeau also missed that game. We don't really know what a timeline is. He could be dealing with all sorts of things. Daryl Sutter talked about not being able to put his skate on. He's listed as an upper body injury. We saw him kind of get his arm tangled up in that game against the Islanders. But what did you make of Adam Rizicka, who got a pretty solid assignment? Okay, top line left wingers out. Not going to shuffle guys. Not going to bump anybody up. You're going on to the top line. What did you make of how he played? I thought he got better as the night went on. Yeah, he he looked more and more comfortable. I think in the first period, he looked a little bit tentative, and you know he was only used in the preseason once on the wing. He's a natural center. He played center in in uh, you know Slovakia and Czechia. He played uh, center in the OHL. He has not played a lot of wing, uh, and I think it was an adjustment for him. But I think you know, like you said, I think he he got better as the game went on. I think he looked more and more comfortable. And you know he's he happened to be playing the Tyler Toffoli and Elias Lindholm, who are two veteran guys who can help you out. And I think. You know, over the course of the game, you could sort of see them chatting with him, you know, between whistles and, you know, over, you know, before face-offs and just saying, hey, do this. Hey, maybe try this, those kind of things. And I imagine that was probably a really nice learning experience for him because, you know, he'd get an opportunity to sort of, you know, figure things out as things go along. And, you know, he, he made a few really nice plays. He made a, a really nice play in the power play on Tyler Toffoli's goal with a good screen. So I think there's a lot of little things. Uh, I, I think, you know, Daryl Southers has said this about a bunch of players in the past, especially, you know, in regards to using young players, new roles, you know, trying to avoid that big mistake. And I would say Adam Azichko is very successful in avoiding that big mistake because if, if, you know, if you were a Devils fan tuning in that game, I don't think it was readily obvious that the Flames were using a guy in the top six who, A, wasn't really a top six guy to begin with, and B, wasn't really a winger to begin with. And I think that speaks a lot to how well Azichko was able to adapt. Ryan Pike, host of Flames Nation, uh, Flames Talk, and editor at Flames Nation, joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose Sports at 960 on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Ryan, what would you say to those fans uh, that say sometimes you need to save from Jacob Markstrom? I mean, they're not wrong. Uh, he's been really good. Uh, you, if you look at the the goals he's given up over the, over the course of the losing streak, you know, I'd say dating back to that uh, that game against Carolina, he's been really good, and there hasn't been that whoopsie goal. There hasn't been, you know, say what you will about the 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 that one goal uh, that Connor McDavid got against Edmonton, where I think it was probably just as much on some soft defensive play as it was on on the goaltender. But aside from maybe that one, he's made the saves you'd expect him to make. But I think you know, in these tight games, you're also when you're paying a guy 6 million bucks a year, when you're have a guy that was second in Vesna voting last year and a second team all-star, I can see the, I can see the people's point of going, okay, you've been, you've been good, but with the way the flames are playing, you kind of need him to be occasionally great in order to, to stem the tide and sort of tilt these games because they're so close that, you know, if, if you look at the, what's happening on the other side, you know, the other goaltender is making some really nice saves and the star players in the other team are you know making those nice offensive plays to get goals? The Flames need to have uh, Jacob Markstrom steal a goal or two or steal a game in order to potentially end this losing streak. Wanted to ask you as well, and and it's kind of backtracking a little bit, but I had mentioned Jonathan Huberdeau and Rizicka, and he has fit in quite well, but. If you're watching the Wranglers team and there's a forward call-up ready, is there someone that you might look to and say that guy might be uh, the the proper fit for this team in more of a top-nine role rather than going and hanging out with guys with like Lucic and Richie in a fourth-line position? I'm a, I'm a big Connor Zary guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I think if you look at 
You know, I, I know there's been a lot of talk on social media about Matthew Phillips, but I think the challenge for Matthew Phillips is if he's going to be used, used in any kind of a, a checking role, he's a small dude and he's very good offensively. Uh, but, you know, he's a smaller dude. And I think using him in roles away from the puck would, would be a, bit, a little bit challenging for the Flames because of his size. Uh, you know, but Zary, Zary's 20. Zary's played a, a decent amount of pro hockey for somebody of, of his young age. And he's he's been a guy who's not afraid to muck around. You know, the, the matinee game on Friday, he got into a fight. He, you know, he throws his body around pretty well. And he's really good at sort of figuring out the, the tone of a game and what he needs to do in order to, you know, turn momentum his team's way or keep his momentum, keep momentum on his team's side. So I think, you know, Con is probably low key. Uh, the guy I'd probably think about bringing in, uh, I think Jacob Pelche be, be potentially an option. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to close the door on Matthew Phillips because he's yeah. just such a good offensive player. I think though, you know, with him, He's so good offensively. He's really good on special teams. You know, a lot of his production has been on special teams, but he's one of those guys that, you know, he's smart enough that, that can, he can probably help you out. But I think there's just guys that have the physical tools who'd be able to to do a little bit more away from the play. But, you know, I think, I think the, the Flames have probably four or five guys in that in that realm that could probably step in and provide some stuff. I mean, we, we saw we saw Walker Dewar step in in the past. He was pretty decent. Uh, you know, Redeem Zahorna has been quietly, you know, really, really good. He's up to a point per game. Uh, I think he's a guy you could fit in. But I think if you're looking for someone who, you know, you, you, you use them for a week and by day seven, they've taken a big step compared to day one. I think that if you're looking at it from that perspective, it, it sort of narrows it down to either Pelche or Zeri. But I think like I said, there's about four or five guys like that who could probably fit in. We haven't necessarily seen Brad Tree Living go out in any course of a, a losing streak for the Flames and kind of make a uh, a jump start type of trade where you move someone who's pretty notable off the roster, get a little bit of a switch up, and see if that jump starts your crew. But do you see any players out there that you've kind of looked at on other teams as maybe someone that could come in and help this team? on the wing up front where a lot of people believe this is a team that maybe lacks a little bit on the wings? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I think the big challenge is, you know, like uh, I'll steal Bradshaw Levick's phrasing. Uh, when your team's losing, teams don't throw you life preservers. They throw you yep. handbills. So you're never going to get really good trade value at this point. And, you know, the, right now the Flames are in a situation where I think they have something like $63,000 in cap space. So any any moves they make would have to be money in, money out, which really limits what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you basically are looking at, you know, could you move one of your you know, you'd be looking at moving like a Dylan Dubé out for someone making Dylan Dubé money. And, you know, for Dylan Dubé money, you might as well just keep Dylan Dubé. So I, I don't think there'd probably be much of, uh, you know, between the cap considerations and just, you know, it seems to be true living's general preference of, you know, waiting and seeing and letting a team work out of it and, you know, trying to make trades as much as you can from position of strength. So, and, and also, you know, for being completely honest here, I think, you know, Brad's probably taking more of a long or I guess medium term in the course of one season, look at things, you know, if you look at the, the trade he made last year in February to bring in Tyler Schifoli, uh, you know, Pat and I talked about our flames talk last week. I could easily see the flames make that kind of a trade later on when they, you know, when their cap situation is a little bit clearer and they have an idea of what they don't have and what they need to make the team, you know, get to the next level to get to where they want to be. But, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, uh, I don't think there's a cavalry coming. I think the Flames will probably have to figure out a way to work out of it on their own. 
Ryan, is this losing streak the perfect example of when Daryl Sutter talked about that uh, being a team captain in a Canadian market is tough because uh, that person, that captain, would have been have to you know answer these questions. Uh, the game against the Islanders, last night's game against the Devils, the captain would have been front and center uh, ask, answering those questions from the media. Is, is this maybe uh, an, an example of why maybe the Flames shouldn't be having a captain on this team this year? I think unless unless you have the the right guys, I mean, you know, the, there's been adversity that the Flames have faced in a lot of previous seasons. I would argue that last season might have been the perfect season to have no captain because they, they didn't really go through a lot of adversity. The Flames didn't have a lot of protracted losing streaks. They didn't really lose a lot of significant players to injury, you know, until the the very very end. And so I, I think you know the, the the waters were relatively calm last year and this year to start. I mean, you have a lot of new faces and they you know this is probably the worst uh, string of injuries the Flames have had since Daryl Sutter came in. It might be the worst string of injuries they've had in the last three or four seasons. And they're happening all at once right early as the team's trying to transition new bodies in and, you know, get their, their systems and their tactics down pat. And they, you know, at times it looks a little bit, you know, jerky and disjointed. And, you know, this, this be the type of, uh, you know, the type of, you know, fortnight for lack of a better term, that uh, it would be tough to be a new captain because especially with, you know, so many new guys, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like an excuse and it'd be challenging for, a new captain to come out and say, Hey, you're missing four guys. Of course, the team's going to look a little bit off because the guys you're missing are your, your top line winger, the guy who, who your offense is supposed to run through and your most important defenseman in Chris Tanev in terms of a stabilizing force and your most important defenseman in terms of Oliver Shillington, in terms of providing speed through the neutral zone and a transition threat and a guy who can jump into the rush and Michael Stone, who probably has the best shot on the, on the, at least on the blue line, but maybe even on the team in terms of his ability to just fire a cannon. So you're missing four really useful, really unique players. And to be honest, they just don't have anybody waiting in the wings to fill in those roles because most teams wouldn't. And, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, someone in a red sweater coming out and saying that towards the media, you know, it's, I don't think it's a, a completely satisfying answer to, to hear. It's the, probably the truth, but I also don't think it's particularly, you know, uh, you know, a, a tantalizing answer for fans who are a little bit on edge after six losses. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, that's a long way of saying, George, you're exactly right there. I think this would be a really challenging time to be a captain. And I, I think this is probably one of the potential times they're thinking, uh, unless you definitely have a guy like uh, Archer John or an Aginla who can come in and definitely provide a calming presence, uh, to, you know, in front of the cameras, why bother? Right. What have you made of uh, Daryl Sutter's comments after a couple of these losses? Like for me, I had almost expected like prickly, shut it all down kind of Daryl, but I, I feel like um, he's been a little bit more kind of not supportive, but he, he's given some some praise to the team despite some losses, and I don't know if I was necessarily expecting that. This is kind of how Daryl's been, at least uh, since he came back to Calgary, though. I mean, you know, when, when the team's winning, he wants to make sure that they don't get too high on their horses and be like, oh, you know, that you won 3-1, great, you're invincible. And when they lose for, you know, generally play well, I think he's usually pretty good at uh, giving pretty honest assessments. I mean, you know, looking back to, to the game on Tuesday night, I mean, the they had a good start. They played pretty well. They just couldn't get uh, get that extra goal, that next goal they needed to uh, to tie the game or take the lead. I mean, 
you know, <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense to me. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's sort of, you know, he, he wants to keep confidence and keep the team's mentality kind of even keel and sort of in the middle between too high and too low. And I think you can sort of see how he, he tries to do that uh, when he speaks with us, because, you know, you, you, is you, you never know exactly what to, to expect post game with Daryl. I don't, I think he's managed to keep us on our, our toes fairly well, but uh, you can usually have a, a decent idea of the general shape of things based on how the game went. Ryan Pike, um, co-host of Flames Talk, editor Flames Nation. Ryan, great stuff. Enjoy the night off. Like you know, take take a deep breath. You know, just just think about the game I guess but enjoy your night off not having to uh, struggle through another Flames game well maybe a win tomorrow in Boston against the Bruins hey this this is the night where everyone uh, in town who has been watching games three nights this week or four nights this week has to get their errands done so yes uh, everyone else who has a honeydew list we, we you know we're all here we're all here for you we're all in the same boat so good luck yeah have fun at the grocery store tonight there he goes Ryan Pike uh, on the Atlas Pizza uh, and Sports Bar guest hotline Brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. That's a good point by Ryan. I think a lot of people, um, last couple nights, 5 o'clock start, it's getting dark. By like 5.30, it's nighttime, uh, dark. Well, and the other thing. Watching the Flames games. Like, a lot of people, 5 o'clock start, they're not even home by 5 o'clock, so you miss the first period, you miss all the good stuff for Red, and you get home and watch them kind of get caved in right. for the back 40. That's you look at the point. last two games, the Islanders and the Devils, the Flames are unbelievable in the first period. <laughs> yeah, and then it, they got kicked in the teeth. So if you got home around 5.45 or 6 and you missed the first period of these last two games, you're like, I understand if, if you're going scorched earth. If if you want to show somebody, hey, this is what a Stanley Cup contender looks like for a period of hockey, you would have shown what the Flames look like against the Islanders and against the Devils. In the first period. That's what I mean. Yeah, and then it would have been the rest. And This, this is how you and, blow a lead in the third this period. This is how you go for Connor Bedard. Yeah. Oof. Big oof. No, um, the, the team's good. They'll be fine. They'll sort it out. Eventually, but uh, the Jonathan Huberto thing like, is like the, here's the elephant thing. in the room. Like, I, we I, don't know how long he's out for. We don't know how long this injury is going to go for. Totally true. And this is another point that I wanted to bring up that I was kind of pondering yesterday. Last season, the Flames lost 71 men games to injury. Which is like one of the lowest in the NHL. It's an egregiously low number. And... Uh, 18 of those were Tyler Pitlick before he got dealt for Tyler Toffoli. So in reality, it was just over 50 games. The Flames are dealing with injury troubled right now. Mm-hmm. They didn't deal with that at all last season. It was almost ridiculous how healthy that team stayed all year last year. And that's not the case early on in the season. Every team deals with it. You got to find a way to make it through. But I would argue that if you do find ways to make it th- through, by the time you get healthy, you probably feel a lot better about where you're at. It's true. Um, Flames. I see a little silver lining. I like that. Be positive, Pete, this morning. Um, Flames and Bruins tomorrow night from Boston. The voice of the Boston Bruins for Nesson. Jack Edwards going to join us straight ahead. Super excited to talk to Jack Edwards. One more segment to go. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 
You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Live from the Doug Lacey Basement Systems Studio. Flames have the night off after dropping their sixth straight last night to the Devils in New Jersey. They take on the Bruins tomorrow night in Boston. We'll have it for you right here on Sports at 960. To talk about those Boston Bruins on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, we say good morning to the voice of the Boston Bruins, Furness and Jack Edwards. Jack, good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. <laughs> the uh, clouds have cleared and it's... Uh... A bright outlook in New England. <laughs> uh, it's a little brisk here in Calgary uh, this morning, Jack. I wanted to ask you this. Uh, did some digging on, on, your, on your personal life. You covered the 1988 Winter Olympics here in Calgary for ABC. You did alpine skiing. Were you all oh. over Alberto Tomba? It, was that your thing back in? And what's your oh. recollection of covering the Olympics in 88 here in Calgary? <laughs> so... <laughs> I've got uh, a really good story about Tamba. Okay. I was uh, working for uh, the legendary Rune Arledge's last Olympic uh, Winter Games uh, for ABC. It was uh, my first gigantic break in the industry, and I had grown up in New Hampshire and ski races as a youngster, and uh I, you know, I still am love in love with that sport. And uh, Alberto Tamba has never been short of self confidence. And <laughs> I, I was waiting uh, to do his uh, live uh, finish area uh, interview after he had won another medal, and. Um, he was openly flirting with this woman <laughs> outside the corral and, and uh, children hold your ears. Um, <laughs> so he said to this woman, while we were waiting to go on live national network television, would you like to be sleeping with me tonight? And she <laughs> She had a shocked face and said, no. To that, he said, ah, and turned to me. (laughs) Right into the interview. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, but Jack, Uh, like the the legendary, now confirm or deny this too, Jack. And again, we're going way back. And I I remember I was very young watching the Olympics as, as a kid, but there was a lineup allegedly of ladies waiting to see Alberta Tomba in his place during the Olympics. Did, did that actually happen or that just more myth? Well, I, I was witness to that one event. I didn't follow him around town, but uh, Alberto always had a smile on his face. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, real tough gig, I imagine, for the poor guy. Yeah, <laughs> especially here in Calgary. Um, Jack, let's flip it. Let's talk a little bit about the Boston Bruins. Um, I'll start here. Did even you expect the start was going to be this good for the Boston Bruins? I was skeptical going into this season. I I, I was gripping over the summer that Bergeron would 
sail off into the sunset and call it a career after five Selkie trophies. And, you know, I, <laughs> I wouldn't begrudge him his retirement uh, at age 37. He has been so beaten up for half of his life. And thank goodness he came back because he's uh, the legacy of Bobby Orr and Ray Bork and Zidane Chara. He's uh, picked up the leadership of that club. And, um, you know, the combination of, of Bergeron and Krejci, one last kick at the can, uh, has elevated this team. And uh, along with their buy-in, instantaneously of Jim Montgomery's wide open offensive style. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that they have as a group uh, exceeded everyone's expectation uh, expectations, because I, I was expecting them really to struggle without Marshawn and McAvoy, especially. And, and they have done just the opposite. Now, you've mentioned it as well. Bergeron returns at 37. Krejci returns. He's 36. Does it have that last dance, last kick of the can kind of feel with these guys? Because I think a lot of people, when you look at the, the production this season, would say, well, they could probably play for a little while longer if they wanted to. Well, uh, Jim Montgomery has uh, coordinated his schedule with the training staff, and uh, they they monitor all kinds of telemetry on every single player. And um, I can't remember the last optional skate in which uh, Patrice Bergeron took part. And I know he's a workaholic and he's raring to go, but they have taken him off the ice. And um, that adds to to my uh, outlook of it's one year at a time and there's going to be this long pause unless he feels he has had enough um, after the season and, and we're going to be in this waiting game. I'm sure Patrice uh, in honor of the franchise will let the higher ups know um whether he's going to come back before the entry draft happens each summer. But um, I I think it's uh, cherished this year and see what uh, Patrice says this coming summer. Jack Edwards is the voice of the Boston Bruins for Nesson, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, sports at 960 The Fan. Jack, do we... Does Brad Marchand not get enough credit for the incredible offensive player he is because of all the antics we've seen through the years? You know, um, uh, a writer named Joe Oaks um, cited Stan Makita's uh, resume and track record as a possible parallel for Marchand. And, um, I I did some research on Makita and he was known as a dirty player and uh, he cleaned up his act and I believe he won the heart and the Lady Bing in the same 
uh, same season. Hmm. And um, I'm not saying Marshawn is ever going to be a candidate, much <laughs> less a finalist for the, the Lady Bing, because he's got such a fiery in his belly that he burns his own house down about every three years. But, um, yeah, the, the guy's um, talent uh, is mostly in his drive. And that propels uh, the fine skill and uh, cunning uh, and and daring on the ice uh, that is virtually unparalleled in a left wing uh, who has become an excellent, excellent 200-foot player. Uh, nobody retrieves the puck better on a power play. Uh, he has... Uh, uh, refined his passing touch, and now that his hips are fixed, I didn't realize watching him day to day what the decline was because it was so gradual and he was fighting it so hard. But now that he's got his youthful mobility back, he is a dynamo on the ice. He put on two skating exhibitions uh, two nights ago that were just unbelievable on the penalty kill. You know, just like skating literal circles around players and spinning and controlling the puck. And uh, he does things that, that don't show up on the event summary or the box score. And and uh, he's an invaluable member of the Bruins. Uh, take us through the first time uh, you had to call him kissing or licking an opponent, Jack. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, the, the first moment uh, that he got in trouble was uh, when he uh, low-bridged Sallow in the return uh, of the Canucks to uh, TD Garden after they uh, they um, were defeated in the Stanley Cup final, and um, I kind of um, I I thought it was a borderline dirty hit, and the replay, you know, was was. Uh, evidence that, you know, Marshawn was aiming at Shallow's knees. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I object to dirty play all over the ice uh, because uh, mostly because it's, it's not right for the game but also because my brief athletic career was ended by a cheap shot in mm. soccer. But, um, you know, I, you know, Brad, Brad's uh, penchant for uh, competitiveness, his compete level is so great that uh, it's part of his makeup that he dances so close to the fire that he steps <laughs> in it sometimes. And, right. and you, you've got to tolerate that as a part of his uh, playing personality. And he's trying his hardest to control it. But, 
uh, as we've seen from Nazem Kadri uh, often, um, you know, the, the greatness of the athlete is somewhat obscured by his misbehavior sometimes. Now, I wanted to ask you about Hampus Lindholm. Has he exceeded your expectations so far? (laughs) You know, being an Eastern team, we saw him twice a year. And there were some sensational Bruins teams during uh, the first part of uh, Lindholm's career. The entire first segment in Anaheim has been a, a great stretch for the Bruins. So he was often covering up uh, layers behind players who couldn't make plays. And I thought he was uh, like a B or B plus uh, defenseman, very capable, big body, good skater. I, I am shocked at how good this guy is. Um He's he's among the short lists of uh, early candidates in the first sixth or seventh of the season for Norris dis, uh, uh, Norris discussion, and and I cannot wait until McAvoy comes back because that capability of Lindholm occupies defenders and McAvoy's going to be free to go and Charlie is chopping at the bit. All right, Jack, I, I got to ask you this. I, I, again, I grew up a Montreal Canadiens fan, Jack. So, you know, right away <laughs> there. Well, my, yeah, my condolences. Well, <laughs> well, not, not really. Cause generally we get the best of you in the playoffs. So it's not really condolences, but um, those series are always a ton of fun. And I've always been a fan of yours because uh, you just lay it on on the line for the Boston Bruins, and I love it. And uh, you're very polarizing when it comes to NHL broadcasters. I appreciate that because ultimately sports is fun and supposed to be entertaining. Uh, When did you kind of say to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to let it rip. Uh, This is how I'm going to call games. I'm going to be me during the broadcast, and this is how I'm going to call games. When did when did you kind of have that aha moment that this is what I want to be, this is who I want to, this is how I want Boston Bruins broadcast to sound? Because I think it's fantastic. Uh, when ESPN decided it would take a hike from the NHL in the uh, mm. 2004 season, you know, just before the year-long tragic lockout. Um, and I, I went to work for a regional network. Uh, you know, New England Sports Network uh, serves the Red Sox and the Bruins. And I grew up 50 miles north of Boston. And I was a diehard Bruins fan from the get-go, even before Bobby Orr. I, I remember the uh, season that, Eddie Johnston played goal for every single game for a last place team, which was missing the four team playoff format in a 16 <laughs> league for the eighth consecutive year. And 
So Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito and Wayne Cashman and Fred Stanfield and Johnston and Cheevers and, you know, all the rest became mythical figures in New England. And I had many a soaking wet pillow from my tears when your Montreal Canadiens mm-hmm. eliminated <laughs> them. And, and it's the one thing in hockey Bobby Orr never did. He never was on a team that beat Montreal hmm. because 70 and 72, they didn't have to go through the Canadiens. And the Bruins were clearly the second best team in all of hockey in the late 70s. And too many men on the ice and Guy Lafleur's brilliance and uh, on and on and on. And uh, <laughs> it was great when, when uh, the Bruins managed to uh, beat Montreal in 88 and mm-hmm. then in the early 90s. And then it turned the other way again and uh, Joe Thornton had the rib injury and they lost game seven at home and the Bruins went on a tear of losing seventh games. And, you know, I, I grew up cheering for the Bruins. And when I was working for ESPN, uh, I had to stifle that and it was unnatural. And mm. I, I, I uh, <laughs> I say to the audience, high above the ice, alongside Andy Brickley, et cetera, as my greeting, because I am high on hockey. You know, I, <laughs> I love the sport so much. It is the collision of the greatest athletes in the world and raw emotion. And I, I, get excited every single game and there's nothing that makes my blood boil like the blue Blanquette Rouge. <laughs> so that's uh, a brief soliloquy mm. of uh, my, my philosophy. And, and, you know, I warned Nesson <laughs> before they hired me, uh, you know, you're going to get a diehard Bruins fan, and it's going to come out most of the time. But yeah. uh, they seem to be okay with it. <laughs> uh, Jack, I got to get your take on this because to me, I, 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 that 2011 series, the first round series against the Habs, where the Bruins won 4 3 in overtime, eventually gone, went on to win the Stanley Cup. That was their toughest series, right? Against Montreal? Like, no question, right? During that Cup run? Un- undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, I, I have said many times, if Montreal wins that series, they win the cup. And and it was a great, great series. And uh, Claude Julien managed the Bruins' psyche just right. And the switch uh, of Boychuk and Seidenberg as Chara's sidekick uh, altered the course of that playoff series. And, and you know, Johnny Boychuk is an all-time Bruin for my uh, 
from my perspective, but um, Montreal figured out a way to attack his side, avoiding Chara at his ultimate zenith. And um, Claude did a marvelous job managing that team on the ice and off the ice. Uh, Jack, lots of good memories, including that P.K. Subban shorthanded goal against the Bruins in the playoffs. If the Bell Center didn't explode uh, during that play, I don't know uh, when it wouldn't. Uh, Jack Edwards, Boston Bruins play-by-play voice at Nesson. Jack, great stuff. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow night against the Flames. I look forward to coming to Calgary for the first time in three years. I've I've made so many good friends out there, and it's a lovely city, and full of great people. Thanks for having me on. No problem. We look forward to uh, talking to you again. Jack Edwards telling you why he just let it rip. Die hard Bruins fan. I'm sorry. This is who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. Get the national networks out of the way. and Lean in regional network out there. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. Again. I I keep saying this. Uh, Broadcasters should be homers to their team. They should be. It's the way it is. Like you said, it's, In Canada, it's, it's we feel like, especially like... It's the New England Sports Network. Right. You should be a homer. That's what you should do. In Canada here, we're weird about it. I don't know why. Well, it's it's Sportsnet, and they carry every Canadian team. So, like, if it's right. it's one broadcast for the Flames and the Oilers, you shouldn't be necessarily a homer just because the home team is playing. Right? So that's why I get it on the TV broadcast. Whereas, like, a Nesson... New England Sports Network, yes, I understand. Oh, no, but but there's Sportsnet Flames, there's Sportsnet Oilers. But we those channels when are they never play each other. Those though. channels are never used anymore. And when they play each other, they don't send two broadcast teams. Well, yeah, I understand that. Like when Rick Ball comes back, and he's coming back soon, which is fantastic. He's coming back news. on Saturday, just screaming out there, whoa! <laughs> like, what if Rick Ball turned into Jack Edwards? People in Calgary would love it. Yeah, hundred percent. But That's I also I mean. understand. No, but I understand why they can't do it because you're okay. a national network, right? Like Bob Cole didn't root for the Leafs. Come on, <laughs> are you kidding me? I love the Bob great, Cole. the greatest what? of all time, Bob Cole. He was a Leafs homer. Oh, and let's well, say here's Gilmore. He's from Newfoundland. Newfies like the Leafs. Okay, but I'm saying go. Bob Cole, the greatest, no, uh, whoever whoever lived, like with all due respect to Foster Hewitt and people going, Foster Hewitt was the best. That's great. But Bob Cole was the biggest Maple Leafs homer ever. Ever. Mm, and he's yeah. a legend. And he did a What's national broadcast. On? I'm saying it happened. It can happen. Yeah, it can happen, but it also makes people angry, George. That's all I'm saying. I understand oh, why oh, it doesn't oh, happen no. up here in Canada. We make people angry. Well, you, if you're playing a game nationally, so you've got what? one market that's happy and you'll have six that are pissed. How many times have I told you on and off the air? Well, more off the air. It's sports. It's not that serious. No. It's supposed I, to be fun. It's I, entertainment. I, yeah. You should laugh. Like Bob Cole. That's why people love Bob Cole. Like, again, the call in the 02 Olympics. Was he not supposed to get excited when Joe Sackick scored? Oh, Joe Sackick scores. Canada's up 4-2 in a gold medal game at the Olympics. I think it's just about having excitement going both ways. It's about making sure that your highs aren't too high and your lows aren't too low. A la, like a Dave Mishkin. When, or uh, the, the guy in okay. St. Louis, Chris Kerber, who does their radio. Yeah. is the exact same. Like, y- y- if you're not paying attention, if you're just listening background noise... You would have no idea that an opposition team has scored. When Buck calls the games for the Blue Jays, 
And he says, get up, ball, get up, ball. That's fine. Tell me you don't love that. That's a one team in all of Canada. Okay. That's fine. Same with the Raptors. I'm Matt saying, Devlin, I'm, I'm fully saying, on board. But I'm saying, the, uh-huh. the, the prime example of a guy who was a homer is considered the greatest play-by-play hockey broadcaster of all I time, Bob Cole. I don't remember Bob Cole being an egregious Leafs homer. Oh, my God, he was. Like, yes, I, egregious, yes. But then again, I wasn't necessarily watching games from a Leafs perspective or anything right. along those lines. So, I don't know. When it, like, Bob Cole never called Flames games. No, he didn't. So you're right. It, it, the late great Don Whitman called a lot of Flames yeah. Games so too. it was one of those things where you know if I if Chris I heard it more maybe per, perhaps too. exactly yeah. right the late right. set guys right yeah um so yeah I'm yeah but Bob Cole was the best and and he did it with grace he did it yeah oh yeah but again uh just go back to the '93 run and watch some Bob Cole calls about Leafs scoring. Like, he almost falls out of the gondola at Maple Leaf Gardens because he's so excited. Who are they playing against? Well, the the goal against the Blues when Gilmore wrapped mm-hmm. it around. Uh, the Borshevsky overtime goal against the Red Wings in, in round one. And even the Gretzky stuff. Like, even when when Clark fought Marty McSorley, listen to how excited he is when Clark... And again, that was a big deal back then when those two fought. But yeah, Bob Cole, legend, was a bit of a Leafs homer. And Sorry. I'm also in the playoffs... If it's a Canadian team against an American team, sure, le- lean into it. Yeah, I'm but again, that's my why- biggest thing. My biggest thing. If it's two Canadian teams going, I'd like to see you okay. show some impartiality. I'm okay, but long story short, I like guys like Jack Edwards. Same. Throw it out there. It adds more character to our sport. hundred percent sport that doesn't have enough of it. Uh, we got to run. We're we, super late. Are we, we got we to get to our replays quickly as possible. That's it. That's it for us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.